Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and this is the podcast talking about women in history known for mayhem and murder. So it's October aka it's the best month of the year and it's time to get spooky, at least and more spooky than usual. This month we're going to be tying our women to the tropes we find most often in horror movies. Our first murderess, a woman who strangled and stabbed her best friend for around $2,000. Her name was Gwen Garlejo Aguilar and she murdered Jane Parangon La Puebla in the early 2000s. This story takes place in Singapore, which means that I may mispronounce some things, and if I do, I am sorry. I am trying my best. But let's go ahead and get started. And at the end of the episode, we'll see exactly what kind of serial killer horror trope Aguilar falls into. It's almost Halloween. Let's celebrate accordingly. On September 9th, 2005, a Metro Rail Transit cleaner named Maria, 41 years old and just continued continuing on her usual Friday schedule, found a blue and red duffel bag on a wall corner by an Orchard MRT station. Now the MRT is kind of like the subway system or a train system and it's kind of like the subway system in New York. For what it sounds like, the MRT is kind of like the public transportation system. Kind of imagine like a subway or, and that's basically what we're going off of. So Maria was curious, which is always a fatal flaw in literally every one of these stories, she opened the bag and saw that there was another woman's face staring back at her. Now, if this was a horror movie, this is where the dramatic jump scare would come in. Turns out that besides the face, there was also severed body parts wrapped in different black and red trash bags containing arms and legs inside that bag. Police were called, obviously, and later on that evening, they received another call. This time at 6 p.m., civil servant Alvum Lim Singh Leong called police to report that he had found a black trolley bag by a bus stop and inside it were the body parts of a woman. Now, inside one of the bags, it's not clear which one, but police found a newspaper the International Herald Tribune, to be precise. And this newspaper had the name and address for a local condo complex nearby. It was this piece of evidence that would lead police in the span of 12 hours to arrest Gwen Aguilar, who was employed as a cleaner at this address. Now, Jane and Gwen were reportedly best friends who would meet up every Sunday at a park, which happened to be near MRT station exit. Coincidentally, a stone's throw away from where the parts of Jane's body would later be found. Two days before Jane's estimated time of death, the friends had gotten into a fight over money that was owed. Apparently, Gwen and Jane were cooking in the kitchen of the condo where Gwen worked. It was while they were cooking there, talking about the various problems that they had been having, that the issue of a $2,000 debt that Jane owed Gwen came up. Jane and another woman had used money borrowed from Gwen, only it turns out that some of the money had come from a loan shark who was now pressuring Gwen to pay them back. They were charging her an interest of 20 cents a day for every day that she didn't get the money back. Gwen brought up this debt and the money that Jane owed, and they began to argue. Gwen suggested that Jane sell some of her cameras and video equipment that she had bought, which then made Jane angry, which then made Gwen angry, and soon enough, both were in a full-out fight. Gwen admitted to biting Jane on her right arm and said that both were scratching and pulling hair and grabbing each other's necks. And it would turn out 
later that the bite mark that they found on Jane's arm would end up being a match to the dental imprint left by Gwen, which I don't know how much stock is put into bite marks and the way that it fits, but it seemed like apparently that was correct and corroborated later on. But the fight spilled into the laundry area and the bedroom where Jane's blood was found spread all over the walls, the floor, and the mattress. When they reached the bedroom, Gwen took one of the pillows from the bed and used it to smother her friend until she thought she was dead. It was at this point, according to what she told police, that she began to cry because she thought she'd just killed her best friend. And then, this woman has the audacity to say that when her friend began moving again, she took the pillow and suffocated her again. And this time, she made sure that she finished the job completely. So, I mean, yeah, maybe you felt bad, but you obviously didn't feel bad enough to, like, not suffocate her again and get her medical help. For two days, she hid the body in her room, which was unknown to the family that she was employed for. On September 9th, after her employers had gone to work, she went to the Mustafa shopping center and bought a cleaver, an axe, and black trash bags. She also bought new pillowcases and bed sheets to replace the ones that were splattered with and soaked with blood, green wallpaper sheets to replace the wallpaper of her employer's condo that she couldn't get the blood stains out of, as well as both canvas and latex gloves. According to court transcripts, she reached the condo around 9.30 that morning, dismembered Jane's body, and we already know where it all ended up. Head, arms, and legs went in the duffel bag, torso in the black bag. After dismembering the body of the woman she claimed to have been as close as sisters with, she scrubbed the blood traces with water and soap and used the new wallpaper to cover up stains that could not be fully removed from the walls. After that, she left and took the bag with her friend's head and limbs to the location near the Orchard MRT station. She then went back to the condo, took the bag with the torso in a taxi to a reservoir, and left it along a walking path where it was reported later that evening. Now, when police found the newspaper with Gwen's employer's address that had been used to help wrap the body parts and quickly figured out Gwen and Jane's connection, they were able to lift fingerprints that matched Gwen's from one of the duffel bags and also found a cleaver in a red plastic bag while later searching her room in the condo. Jane was 26 years old at the time of her death and she was married to Cruzaldo La Puebla and born in Nueva Vizcaya, Central Lazon, in the Philippines. Her body was flown back to the Philippines for her funeral. At her trial, Gwen barely avoided being sent to the gallows. Singapore apparently has some of the most strict and savage punishments in the world. Gwen's charges of murder was reduced to manslaughter, and this was after her defense lawyers had written a letter to the attorney general's chambers to get the charge reduced on the grounds of this death having had occurred due to a grave and sudden provocation, as well as saying that Gwen suffered from a psychiatric condition, aka depression. Now, the defense's story was this. Gwen was also from the Philippines and had come to Singapore as a domestic worker to help with financial issues back home, where she was married and had two children to support. Having had that money borrowed from her and then being in debt to a loan shark had caused her to act in ways that weren't actually true to her character. Honestly, I don't know how much of that I actually believe versus 
sense how much of that ended up being a defense strategy. I ended up reading a transcript of what happened in the courtroom, which I'll leave linked in the blog post for this episode, which you could find the blog post at frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. That's F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S dot com and then forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. And I'll have the courtroom transcript linked right in the beginning of this whole episode if you're interested in reading it for yourself. But I found this part really interesting and I just wanted to read out what the judge said about sentencing Gwen. Okay, so quote, it is most unfortunate that a tragic concatenation, I don't know if that was maybe a mistranslation or maybe a combination or if that's just a word I've never heard before, condition? I don't know, of distressing circumstances had conspired to trap the accused in a state of transient mental abnormality. That said, her illness did not in any way dispossess her of the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. While sympathy may be added, justice cannot be subtracted from the sentencing equation. The accused has consciously caused the loss of a life. An appropriate sentence has to be imposed. I determine upon considering all the relevant circumstances that the appropriate sentence for the accused is a term of imprisonment of 10 years commencing from the date of her arrest on 10th of September 2005. So overall, Gwen Aguilar received a sentence of 10 years in prison for manslaughter to begin in 2005 and I'm assuming that ended in 2015. I kind of tried to look around and see if I could find anything about where she is now or if she was released in that in, in 2015 or earlier, but I haven't been able to find anything about her since then. I mean, I'm assuming that like anyone else, when she would be released from prison after such a high profile case, she did her best to stay under the radar and I wouldn't be surprised if there was like name changes involved. I also don't know how I feel about her only receiving 10 years for murder. I mean, I guess a manslaughter charge, but still, Jane was 26 years old and she still had so much of her life ahead of her. And I'm just not sure if I believe 10 years is like a correct amount of justice, but that may just be because I'm American and just because the justice system is different in Singapore than in America. I don't know, but that's my opinion. It gives me a weird feeling to think that she only got 10 years. But what kind of trope does our killer fall into? Personally, I believe that Aguilar is a good example of the slasher trope. Now, these slasher killers, according to tvtropes.org, are the ones who, quote, can whisk away a full-grown adult's corpse in seconds leaving not a single drop of blood behind or swiftly arrange all its victims in elaborate tableau without ever being seen lugging the dead bodies around. Well, I know this doesn't like word for word match the case or the conditions that or the case of the Aguilar match Aguilar's case. It does kind of speak that she was able to take these duffel bags filled with body parts and kind of just go and dispose of them in random spots throughout Singapore and not get seen doing this or at least not being seen on like security footage or anything like that. Some of the more popular examples of this trope in media are the Bates in Psycho can be found in the movie Psycho with Norman Bates and his mother and in the Halloween movies with Michael Myers although that tends to have a little bit of more of a supernatural element. So go ahead and check Slasher off your figurative bingo board and let me know if you agree with me on Aguilar's classification. You can find me at Firmius Reads, that's F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. Make sure you follow the podcast to stay up to date with everything a murderous affair related. We are on Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, 
Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Libsyn, anywhere and everywhere that you listen to podcasts, find us on your platform of choice. As always, thank you so much for sticking around and listening, and I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.